Hey guys, I have a podcast that I think you'll really enjoy. Proof, the investigative true crime podcast co-hosted by Susan Simpson of Undisclosed and Jacinda Davis of Evil Lives Here is releasing its highly anticipated second season where they investigate the murder of 18-year-old Renee Ramos. The first season, which if you haven't listened to yet, you totally should, saw the release of two Georgia men serving life sentences for murdering their friend, Brian Bowling. And thanks to evidence unearthed by proof, on December 8th, 2022, both Daryl Lee Clark and Kane Joshua Story were finally freed after 25 years behind bars. With that same investigative drive, Susan and Jacinda are on the case again, and this time, they are on the streets of Manteca, California, to find out who really killed Renee Ramos. In proof, murder at the warehouse, you hear how, on June 5th, 2000, Renee's body was found buried beneath a pile of debris inside a new Home Depot building. And how, despite tips hinting at alternate suspects, her boyfriend, 18-year-old Jake Silva, and 33-year-old Ty Lopez were arrested and convicted of her murder. Fans of true crime and investigative series won't want to miss this riveting new season. Follow the case as Susan and Jacinda uncover long-overlooked evidence about what really happened to Renee by listening to Proof, Murder at the Warehouse, wherever you get your podcasts. Rex Sherman is a demon that walks among us, a predator that ruined families. The Lisk, Long Island serial killer podcast, was shocked when the news broke of Rex Hewerman's arrest. After more than a decade of searching, law enforcement officials had finally pieced together enough evidence to bring formal charges against Rex Hewerman. Initially charged with three murders, Hewerman is now officially charged with all four deaths in the Gilgo 4 case. I'm your host, Chris Moss, and the Lisk podcast will be releasing new episodes with interviews and fresh insight on the case as Rex Hewerman awaits trial in Long Island. While we are relieved by the arrest, the List podcast team will be working hard to share new developments and perspectives as we get them. So please keep your eyes and ears out for new episodes. And if you haven't already, please listen to seasons one and two of Lisk, Long Island Serial Killer, wherever you listen to podcasts. There were two more murders 15 miles away. When police arrived, they found the telephones and electricity lines. We have a... Weird homicide. Seen described by one investigator as reminiscent of a weird morning. Cup of murder. There are some mysteries that will never be solved, some crimes that will never see a solution, and some murderers who will never be captured. On July 3rd, 1929, an entire family was massacred in their Detroit home. A massacre that has never, and probably will never, see a resolution. So if you like your coffee hot but your bones chilled, sit back and start your day with a morning cup of murder. In 1904, a 19-year-old boy from Naples, Italy, named Benjamina Evangelista, immigrated to the United States, changed his name to Benny Evangelist, and, two years later, claimed he started receiving visions from God. These visions turned into a four-volume book called The Oldest History of the World, in which he claimed that he himself was a divine prophet, spiritual leader, and mystical healer. All information he divined during a series of nightly trances that started back in 1906. Now, when he first came to the United States, he began living with his very Catholic brother in Philadelphia, who basically disowned Benny once he started toting his spiritual mysticism. Moving on to York, Pennsylvania, Benny met a man named Aurelius Angelina, and together, the pair started to dabble in the occult, 
until Aurelius snapped one day in 1919 and attacked his entire family with an axe, killing two of his own children. Unsettled by what happened with his friend, Benny made his way to Detroit, where he started as a carpenter, got married, and started a pretty prosperous career in real estate, all while combining all of his beliefs and earning a reputation as Detroit's hex man. To prove his power, Benny began constructing an apparatus in his basement that had a dozen or so wax figures depicting different celestial planets, and a huge eye that was lit up electronically from inside. Called Benny's Great Celestial Planet Exhibition, the room would serve as an altar for Benny's spiritual healings, which, of course, cost $10 a session. He did it all from spiritual chants and dances, to animal sacrifices, to the sale of herbs, hexes, and spiritual remedies, all at a cost to his believers. Benny was doing quite well for himself, earning enough money to move his wife and children into a large home on the corner of St. Aubin and Mack Avenue. But for as many loyal clientele as he procured, he gained just as many enemies who either saw what he was doing as a direct attack against the religion or saw him as a snake oil salesman who took the money from the naive. On the morning of July 3rd, 1929, Benny Evangelist and his entire family were brutally murdered in their Detroit home. Benny, just 44 years old, was found seated behind his desk, hands folded as though he was deep in prayer, and his head on the floor nearby. While his wife and four children, one-year-old Mario, four-year-old Jeanne, five-year-old Margaret, and seven-year-old Angelina, were found massacred by an axe in a room upstairs with 33-year-old Santina Evangelist lying in a bed with her youngest child. Her head was bashed in and severed, and Mario's skull was completely crushed. Almost immediately, the entirety of Detroit's homicide division was dispatched to the Evangelist home, and when they did, made a number of strange discoveries. One that they found particularly troublesome was the fact that someone surrounded Benny's severed head with three large framed photos of a child in a coffin, and a quick investigation into them found that the young boy was actually Benny's son, who had died several years before. There were also several pieces of women's undergarments, each tagged with the name of the owner, found around the home with some saying that the undergarments were used in voodoo practices to help find a missing person, leading many to assume that the evangelist murders had something to do with voodoo or Benny's mysticism. Of course, all of this was reported in great detail in the newspapers, as police failed to keep the reporters and general gawkers away from the scene meaning that much of it was contaminated and most of the valuable evidence was destroyed. All except a single bloody fingerprint found on the front doorknob, but even that did little to solve a case in 1929. And because most of Benny's neighbors and clients were recent Sicilian and Italian immigrants, they were reluctant to speak with police and not a single one provided a statement. No one was talking and the evidence was scarce to say the least. So investigators had to work with what little information they had to try and fill in the blanks by looking into the so-called prophet himself. According to his physician, Benny was completely insane and, according to some, had only been married to Santina for a short period of time, meaning that the children were hers from a previous marriage. According to the doctor, Benny planned on making a movie about the history of the world and his own version of the Bible. And according to his lawyer, he was involved in multiple lawsuits over various real estate deals. 
Despite all of this seemingly odd information, none of it seemed to be enough for Benny's murder, let alone the murder of his entire family. He was harmless as far as everyone was concerned. Over the years, police made several arrests and questioned dozens of people, but all hit dead ends, leaving the case cold, but with three very different theories. One involved several notes found around the evangelist home, suggesting that Benny was being threatened by the Black Hand, a criminal group that preyed upon wealthy Italian immigrants. One letter received just six months before the murder read, this is your last chance. But the major issue with this theory is that by 1929, the enterprise was said to be defunct and had already evolved into the traditional mafia that we know today. And it seemed like even Benny didn't take the notes seriously. So it could have been from an angered customer or stranger who was using the black hand as a simple scare tactic to extort money from the wealthy man. And if this was the case, it was unlikely that this person was cold-blooded enough to kill a woman and children. The next theory involved a man named Umberto Tachio, who had visited the evangelist home on the night before the bodies were found to make a payment on the house that Benny had sold to him. He was accompanied by a man named Angelo DiPoli, and when both were questioned after the bodies were found, had an axe, a banana knife, and a pair of suspiciously clean work boots in the barn behind the boarding house where they were living. They claimed they had nothing to do with the murders and that nothing unusual happened on the night that they went to see Benny. But due in large part to the prejudice against Italian immigrants, the local papers cast great suspicion on Umberto in particular. According to them, Umberto stabbed his brother-in-law to death during an argument just three months before the Evangelist murders. And if he killed his own family, who's to say he wouldn't do the same to a man that he owed money to? But there was no physical evidence connecting Umberto to the crime. He was let go and died a few years later in 1934, leading to yet another dead end. The last theory, and the one people seem to like the best, goes all the way back to that friend that Benny made while still in Pennsylvania, Aurelius Angelino, the man who murdered his children with an axe. According to the stories, Aurelius escaped from prison for the criminally insane in 1923 and was never seen again. So is it possible that he went looking for his old friend? And if so, the question of motive still remains. And that's where the Evangelist murder case remains. One big mystery filled with religion, cult-like followings, mysticism and the occult, and prejudice for immigrants making their way to the United States. Thank you for joining me in my morning cup of murder. Please join me again tomorrow to hear what terrible thing happened on July 4th. Don't forget to rate and subscribe and let me know how you like it. Support the podcast. There's always Patreon or just sharing it with your true crime obsessed friends. And remember, stay safe. <laughs>